Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppe. Had been planning on doing a mailbag podcast tonight, recording this on Thursday night. And then conveniently, some big news happened beforehand. As I'm assuming most everyone listening to this has already heard, former Ohio State wide receiver Caleb Brown committed to Iowa from the transfer portal. So some first thoughts on that, and then I'll jump into the questions from our text update subscribers. So I'm usually not, you know, the most hyperbolic in my praise, but as I said when I tweeted out the article about Brown committing, it seemed like Iowa hit the jackpot here. It has one scholarship open. It has needs at wide receiver and cornerback, as Kirk Ferentz outlined a couple weeks ago, especially though at wide receiver. It had a lot of attrition there. So they really needed somebody there. It lands a former Ohio State wide receiver, a place from that's basically been wide receiver U, goes to Iowa now, a place that Kelvin Copeland has admitted can be a challenging place to recruit wide receivers. Obviously, Brown is young. He'll be a redshirt freshman. And it's not like he was, okay, lighting up the NFL draft rankings and receiving All-American honors. No, he played pretty sparingly at Ohio State. But at the end of the day, you get a recruit that is really highly touted, who we haven't really heard anything bad about. And four-star recruit, I think he is 13th among wide receivers in this class at Iowa. In terms of what you can realistically expect, or even not so realistically expect, For Iowa, this is about as good as it gets. Now, there are still some things that they need to figure out. Brown truly is a slot receiver. At least that's where he's probably best. Iowa obviously has great tight ends as well. But a true X receiver who can be best outside would really help. Really, the person that comes to mind who'd be great would be Keegan Johnson if he didn't transfer to... Kansas State that would have been a great fit there but you don't have that that's the one piece that's missing right now but maybe that's Seth Anderson maybe that's Deontay Vines if he takes a significant step up this year now that he's finally healthy too so still some things to figure out obviously Arlen Bruce is not the best utilized in Iowa's scheme last year, so you don't want to make that mistake again with Brown. But for now, a lot of reason to be optimistic, and I sense from the fan base too is there's a lot of optimism. I did a Twitter poll to gauge people's opinions right now, and still a lot of time left on the poll, but as of right now, 45% very excited, 32% somewhat excited, between 23 and 24% still somewhat concerned or still very concerned. So, and understandable to have that concern when you look at how this offense is done, when you look at the Charlie Jones examples and such. It's certainly a good get for Iowa, about as good as you could ask for, as I was saying earlier. The transfer portal, you can kind of put a check next to now. They have all 85 scholarships accounted for right now. Obviously, things still could change a little bit, but probably not going to change a lot. You'd probably need somebody 
either graduate transferring because the second portal window is closed, or if you have an injury that requires somebody being put on medical scholarship, it's a pretty small list of ways that you would still have a spot open. The Swarm Collective has been gaining momentum. Could they maybe, NIL cannot be a recruiting inducement officially, but if there is enough NIL that that would offset the cost of a scholarship, could that maybe help the Hawkeyes land a pretty good walk-on? That's a possibility as well. Then kind of switching gears to another great batch of questions from our text update subscribers. First of all, you can join them for free at joinsubtext.com slash Hawkeyes. Who doesn't love free stuff? First question, how does Iowa's use of the portal compare with their Big Ten and other opponents in 2023? Their Big Ten peers and other opponents in 2023. Really, the lack of scholarship-level players leaving really does stand out compared to, I'll take Michigan State as an example. That's probably one of the more dramatic examples. The Spartans lost, I think it was their starting quarterback, their sort, their, yeah, starting quarterback, their top wide receiver, and a starting cornerback, all in the same day of the second portal window. Iowa, meanwhile, doesn't lose any scholarship players in the second transfer portal window. Justin Britt entered the portal back in, I believe it was March, but he was already put on medical scholarship, which signaled the end of his Iowa career. Illinois lost a bunch of scholarship players. It does make Iowa look good, the fact that they didn't have any scholarship players leave in the second window. Of course, they had a good chunk of players who left in the first window, You know, it helps to have that continuity from spring to summer. Of course, you would prefer to not have the injuries where, okay, they have that roster continuity, but you have a bunch of guys who didn't really get to do a ton in the spring. You also have the drawback of you have fewer spots open, but I think that's a trade-off that Iowa would take in terms of having less turnover, and then you have that development time versus having the rotating door of players we've seen how that's worked out or maybe not worked out is the better word for it when Scott Frost is at Nebraska is Fran done in the portal he still has room to add someone aside from Ben Cricky, the big man from Valparaiso which fun unrelated to the Hawkeyes fact is close to one of my favorite hiking trails along Lake Michigan there's no deadline for when a player has to commit via the transfer portal The portal windows are just for entering. Of course, the longer that we go, less supply. Time does tick there, but still got time if they want, if they see somebody that they can get. Obviously, NIL is a factor, as Fran has talked about candidly. Yeah, so still TBD on that. A question about how Iowa softball is doing. They're coming off a 4-2 loss to Northern Iowa. That's obviously one you don't want to lose. But all in all, it's a significant improvement from last season. They were 3-20, and I think it was, last year in Big Ten play. Really not good. Three wins, 20 losses. They're 10-10 and this year with one series against Wisconsin to go. If things go well in Madison, maybe even they get a first-round bye. Obviously, that's not a conversation that you were talking about at Pearl Field a year ago. You would have may be killed to have that conversation there just because it's so far off from what reality was. But now they're in that conversation and credit to that 
team for really making a quick turnaround with a young roster as well. So it's been one of the more interesting turnarounds that we've seen just in general with Iowa sports, where you have a team that was doing so badly last year, who's now right in the thick of it, not in that top tier of teams, that top three or so that are kind of above everyone else, but in that next tier where it's they're in the thick of things, which is probably as good as anybody could ask for on May 4th or May 5th. Then a couple questions um, similar to each other, what to make of Iowa women's basketball not getting any transfers signed so far. Is the staff getting closer to filling the one open scholarship? So in terms of what to make of this, the not to be captain obvious here, but the kind of obvious one is that they're not going to get an elite star level player at this point. Those creme of the creme players, you've got a lot of them that have found places. They could still get a high caliber player. It is a long process. Again, with these transfer portal windows, they need to enter the portal. By the time that these portal windows close, they don't have to commit by then. And of course, graduate transfers, they don't have to abide by the windows, as well as players with coaching changes. So the supply is not what it once was. Now, the interesting dynamic with this is if Caitlin Clark uses her COVID year and if nobody transfers out, and of course that second if with nobody transfers out in 2023 is a big if. If you have those two things happen, you're already at 15 out 15 scholarships for 2024-2025. Obviously, you're not going to say to the best player in women's basketball, hey, we don't really want you to stick around for an extra year. Good luck in the WNBA. No, you're going to take as much time with Caitlin Clark as you can. If they don't fill that scholarship this year, it maybe avoids a challenging situation next year in terms of you need somebody to transfer to get back to that 15-person limit. That's the other thing that to keep in mind. Now, they still could get a grad transfer with one year of eligibility who could really make a difference. So you have those top names taken, but you still have some really quality players who are available. Um, a comment about Cooper DeGene being projected to go in the first round of the draft next year. Um, I would exercise caution with all those 2024 mock drafts. You know, I get that NFL draft writers, they need something to write about. 2023 draft is done, but when you look at it, the mock drafts are not super accurate. When you're looking at some of the most well-regarded experts, the day of the draft or the day before the draft, just look at what Mel Kuyper was expecting for Jack Campbell. Or maybe don't look at that because it might tick off some Iowa fans in terms of how low Jack Campbell was from Mel Kuyper. And then he ends up being the 18th overall pick. I would take anything, especially this early, with a grain of salt. Obviously, Cooper DeGene is a heck of a player, incredibly talented player. It would not surprise me if whichever year he decides to go into the draft, that he is a first-round level of talent. Let's hold the horses here on all the, okay, he's going to go in the first round of next year's draft. A lot of things can happen. You want him to stay healthy. That can always be a factor. Do NFL teams all of a sudden want 
a different position. You pretty much always want cornerbacks, though, so that situation is probably unlikely. A lot of things can, should, will change between now and April 2024 when they're calling off names in Detroit. I'm not surprised. You know, I don't think many people are after seeing how good of an athlete Cooper Jean is. Like, as I said before, he's showing why he's getting these first round projections, but just don't take the mock drafts from one year ahead that say, oh man, such and such mock draft projects Seth Benson and, or excuse me, Riley Moss and Cooper Jean to be teammates in Denver. I forgot which one. I thought there was one that had one mock draft that had him going to, I think it was Denver, but just don't take those as the gospel. A lot of things will change, including draft order for one thing. A question, offense was awful last year. Has it been fixed? Jury's still out. Um, We've gotten a really limited sample size, and that was without some key players. Cade McNamara recovering from knee surgery did not do 11-on-11 drills in the spring open practice. Caleb Brown obviously helps the offensive outlook a lot. Between the influx of talent and the easier schedule, you look at this Iowa football schedule in 2023 and it should not be a real challenge for Iowa when you go down the list of teams with non-conference you start with Utah State then you go to Iowa State then you go to Western Michigan none of those teams obviously Iowa State it has been respectable in many years but they were coming off a subpar season last year So Iowa should probably be the favorite in all three of those games. You go to Penn State, that one, Vegas is probably going to have Penn State as the favorite. But then you look at the rest of the schedule, Michigan State, a team that has had a lot of losses, as we've talked about earlier via the transfer portal, and was coming off not so great year last year. You got Purdue going through a coaching change. You got Wisconsin going through a coaching change. You've got Minnesota at home, but Iowa probably still be the favorite there. Northwestern, they're not exactly what they've been in 2018 or 2020, the last two years. So if that doesn't turn around, that's not going to be the most challenging game you wouldn't think. Rutgers is Rutgers. Illinois. Could be respectable, but they've got some changes, too, in terms of they lost some players to the NFL, as did Iowa. And then Nebraska going through a coaching change. You look through that schedule, and the offense should be set up for success. There's no excuse for not seeing significant offensive improvement. I'm not saying that there will be, but if there is not, there's really not going to be an excuse for it. Um, And then sounds like defense might be very strong. I'd agree with that. Um, A lot of reason for optimism. The defensive line might not miss a beat despite losing Lucas Van Ness, the 13th overall pick in the NFL draft. Deontay Craig really has not gotten enough credit for what he's done with his six and a half sacks, despite playing substantially less than some other players. That's really impressive. Linebackers, obviously hard to replace Jack Campbell. Not easy to replace Seth Benson either. Like Jack Campbell gets a lot of the attention because first round caliber player, as we saw. 
But Seth Benson did a lot too, and that's another veteran player that you're losing. But they've got some guys who, you know, has been in that building for a while where you have reason for optimism with somebody like Kyler Fisher, somebody like Jay Higgins, who really got his feet wet last year. And then a great portal addition with Nick Jackson, about as experienced as you can get of an addition there. The first team secondary is solid. You'd like to see a little more depth there, particularly at cornerback. We'll see how much does a guy like TJ Hall develop or Deshaun Lee develop from last year to this year. That can make a big difference at that position. So at the same time, too, you give a little bit more benefit of the doubt in terms of expecting defensive success, considering what has happened in recent years than offense where everyone knows the numbers. And then one more question here. Do the athletes have off-season jobs or do they just study and lift weights? So it's not totally unheard of for an athlete to have an internship. Um, it can be logistically difficult, though. Sometimes you see them intern within the athletic department because flexible schedule there. Um, but it's tough, especially for football with the demands of being a college football athlete. It can be a lot. So you're not exactly going to be expecting to see, you know, name your favorite wide receiver, or cornerback or offensive lineman. You're not going to be seeing doing the typical college summer jobs just because of the demands of being a student athlete in 2023. So thanks for all the great questions. Much appreciated. Again, you can join the text update group at joinsubtext.com slash Hawkeyes. Again, joinsubtext.com slash Hawkeyes. I'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.